0: Well, welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin, and we're so glad you joined us for the first Sunday of 2020 at our Ashley Park campus. Uh, Thanks for coming uh, for best year ever. I want to start by asking a question that maybe can get us all on the same uh, level ground. Uh, And it's sort of important with this title. It's the idea of what, what was last year like? What was last year like for you? And the reason that's important is because, you know, our title implies that we believe that this year can be better, but you really can't get to better until we think about what was last year like. And for some of you, when you think about last year, you're thinking, well, you know, best year ever. I think you're setting the bar incredibly high to say 2020 is going to be the best year ever because 2019 was the stuff. I mean... It was the year everything changed for me. I had I got my driver's license. Everything got better. We we had a baby. We got a new house. I got a new job. We made lots of money. My company sold. Everything was great in 2019. So I don't know, man. I don't know that 2020 can top that. Uh, for others of a you, year thinking the bar is really pretty low, because 2019 was it was just terrible. It's it's the year everything fell apart. It's when when I think back to 2019, I mean it was just a year full of struggles, things in my life changed for sure, but, but not for the better. And then I think for most of us, when we think about last year, uh, it probably just was, it was just a year. There were some good things, there were some bad things, there were some challenges, there were some highlights, but it was just another year. And so when you think about best year ever, you think, well, maybe, but it'll probably just be another year. What I want to start with is this idea that things can be better and that God, in fact, I believe, wants this to be your best year ever, and, and here's why I believe that's true. See, at the core, I believe that God wants this year to be better because God is your loving Heavenly Father, and here's, here's what I take out of saying that. I, I'm a dad. I'm, I'm a granddad, and When I think about 2020 for my kids and my grandkids, I want 2020 to be their best year ever. When I think about hopes and dreams for them, I want this year to just be incredible. And if that's what I think, being an imperfect dad and granddad, then how much more our perfect heavenly father must want that for his kids? But it's not just that that gives me that idea. It's when I think about what Jesus had to say, Jesus, who was God, come to earth. When, when Jesus is trying to explain to people why, why he came, he said to them, I have come that they, and they is us, uh, me and you, he said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I like the way one translation translated even fuller and says it this way, I came so that they might have real and eternal life, more and better life, than they ever dreamed of. That's one of the reasons we say around here that if you'll follow Jesus, not not believe in Jesus, but if you'll actually decide to follow Jesus, do what he asks you to do, Jesus will make your life better, and he will make you better at doing life because that's what following Jesus does for us. But I, I also feel like starting out this year, 2020, and this idea of best year ever that I need to say to you that even though better is possible, and even though God wants better to take place, better's not automatically going to happen. Even though God wants it, and even though it's possible for you, it won't just automatically happen. I mean, you may know this, but surveys continually show us that even though we have good intentions and we all set New Year's resolutions, you know, or some of us set New Year's resolutions, that setting a New Year's resolution won't automatically get it done. Now, I love goals. I'm, I'm a goal guy. And uh, I've always set goals. I've always had goals for my life. And uh, I I love new things. I love changing things. I love making things better. My life, I like to be about progress. But if you're like me and that's who you are, then I say for you, hey, go at it. Set some goals. Set some resolutions and go for it. But here's what you and I both know. Setting a goal won't get anything done. I mean, most New Year's resolutions, they're finished, surveys tell us, by Valentine's Day at the latest. Most people are, are just done with them. So if if you're a gym person and these first five days of the year have just really frustrated you because the gym's just packed with people, hey, man, my advice to you is just hang on and go buy a harp-shaped box of candy because it's all going to be over really soon for most folks. And and that idea of how quickly we fail at these resolutions, it's why a whole lot of you listening into to me, uh, you... <laughs> You don't even think about setting New Year's resolutions because you tried that, you've been there, you've done that, and, and you failed. And, and when you fail at it again and again, you begin to feel like a failure, and it just makes you feel worse than, than you were before. Well, the good news I have for you is that there's a guy in the Bible, he's a follower of Jesus named Paul, and I think he feels exactly, understands exactly where you are, where we all have frankly been. Uh, Paul at one point is talking about how he wants to be better, and he wants to do better, and he wants to do all the right things, but he just can't get it done. In fact, this is the way he writes it. He says, I, I don't really understand myself, for what I want to do is what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Now, I bet if we're honest, everybody in this room, no matter how young or old you are, you you've been there. I didn't want to overeat but I did. I didn't want to lose my temper again, but I did. I, I didn't want to use again, but I did. I didn't want to overspend, but there I was at Target again or on Amazon again. I I overspent again. All of us know what it's like to to have that feeling of, I want to do what's good, and I just can't seem to get it done. And that's where Paul is in that verse I just read to you. And then Paul does what a lot of us do. He ties the fact of his failure to who he is. He says, well, what a what a miserable person I am. I've been there. What a failure. What what a loser. I, I'm not the person I want to be, much less the person God wants me. I'm just I'm just a horrible human. I'm a I'm a bad person. But what I really want you to see is that Paul goes back to what I said we believe, that Christians believe. He says, so who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And that brings him back to the core of what we believe. He says, thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. It really doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done or what you haven't done uh, or what's gone right or what's gone wrong. Jesus has the ability If you will follow him, not not believe that he was a person or believe that he did something, but if you will follow him, he he can make your life better, and he can give you the tools to be better at this life. So today, I want to talk to you about how that happens, how we practically go about doing that. Now, this is not a really long series to kick off 2020, which is good for some of you because you're just trying this thing out, and I hope you'll come back. But this series is going to be fairly short, just a a couple of weeks, uh, three weeks, actually. And today is just the introduction to this. And if you're new, when we talk about a subject, we talk in a series, but it's really just one big idea. And what I always say at the beginning of a series is, hey, today is just an introduction. And what I mean by that is when I get done with this, if you say, well, that was pretty interesting, but it really didn't get me where I needed to be. Here's what I want you to know. I I wasn't trying to get you where you need to be. This is just an introduction. I'm just trying to get us all on the same page. But here's what I also know. You know that there isn't anything I can say in the next 25 or 30 minutes. I mean, I can't give you magic words that are going to change your life in 25 or 30 minutes. But I believe that if you'll engage with what's going on over the next few minutes and you'll agree to engage with us over the next couple of weeks, we can begin to get some traction together that can make you better and make your you better at at your life. But what I want to say to you is it really comes down to not what your intention is. I mean, before I I go too far in this, what what I want you to know is uh, I read this book last year called Atomic Habits by a guy named James Clear, and I highly recommend it. It's not a Christian book, but it is a tremendous book. And if you're a reader and you already read this book, it was a New York Times bestseller, it was an Amazon bestseller. If you've already read it, then you're going to hear that I have read it too. You're going to know that. And if you're not, if you haven't read it, I could not recommend it more. Our staff is actually going through this book to start the year together. So, what I want to get at today in this introduction is why, when we have good intentions, why, when we want to do better, why is it that so often most of us fail? Why do we not get done what we want to do? Why can't I lose that weight? Why can't I stop using? Why, can't, why do I continue to do the bad thing and fail again, again, and again? Why do my relationships not get better? I want to show you three main reasons that we don't. our intentions aren't enough to get it done, that we continually fail at, at the goals we set. And here's the first one. We tend to focus on what we want to see happen and, and not really on how it happens. In other words, we focus on the result we want to see happen, what we want to change, how we want our life to look, and not, we don't spend too much time on how am I going to make that happen. Let's think about it this way. If, if I asked 100 people, so what do, you, what do you want your life to look like? Well, Honestly, there aren't really a hundred different answers. There aren't, I mean, we're billions of people, but we don't have billions of different goals. When it comes down to it, most of us, in general categories, we have about the same goals. When it comes to health, for instance, most of us, all things being equal, we would prefer to be healthy over sick. We would prefer to be free from any restrictions when it comes to our body instead of having some kind of restrictions because our health isn't good. I mean, that's just a general idea. I mean, you, you already knew that, that all things equal, everybody'd prefer to be healthy instead of be sick. When it comes to, to things like our finances, if I had to sum up what most of us want out of finances, the general idea is we, we want to be free. What I mean by that is none of us set out as a goal. I mean, I don't know anybody who has ever said in their life, you know what I want? I, I want to be at a place that I don't know how I'm going to take care of the people I care about in myself in a month. I want to be at a place where if I lost the job that I had that I would live every moment with worry. I want to be a person who has crushing debt and I'm always asking people to help me. I don't know anybody that sets out with that kind of goal when it comes to relationships. We all want people who love us and that we love. We want people who know us and accept us and who we can offer the same to. We, we want loving, intimate, kind relationships where we have life we can do with people. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, when it comes to our relationship with God, we want to know that God is with us. Not that we just do some religious drill. We want to know that in the good times and in the bad times, we sense his presence, that we have an active, ongoing thing that we can stand with him in tough times and that we can enjoy the good times with him. We want to experience, we want to know that our life mattered, that we did what God wanted us to do, that we made a difference in this world. We want that. Well, What I'm trying to get at is that, when it comes to goals in life, if, if I were to ask everybody, I mean, nobody wants a bad marriage. Nobody wants to have a financial failure. Nobody wants to file for bankruptcy. Nobody wants to go through the motion spiritually, but it happens. Even though our tensions are good, That kind of stuff happens again and again and again. I mean, every team starts out with a coach saying, hey, we're going to go for it this year. We're going to win it. There is no Atlanta coach that comes out and say, hey, we're going to be sort of good this year, just good enough to we crush everybody's hopes. (laughs) They don't say that, but it sure does happen an awful lot. See, James Clear in his book, Atomic Happens, uh, he says, we do not rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. Now, you might be hearing that and you think, eh, this is a church, and that sounds, I mean, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but when you look at, I'll just say through the Bible, I I know the Bible, and when you look through the Bible and you put that lens on, you can see it in people's lives everywhere. There's a guy that some of you will know if you've read the older part of the Bible and others of you won't. his name is Daniel, and Daniel is a young man whose country gets taken over when, when he's just a young man and he gets shipped off to the country, the conquering country, to live as a refugee for the rest of his life he lives there. Now in that country, his religion, his God is illegal. He can't worship that God. But when he's a young man, Daniel just determines, doesn't matter to me what anybody else does. It doesn't matter to me if it's illegal. I'm going to continue to worship the God that I know, the God that is with me. And so through his whole life, Daniel decides that's what he's going to do, no matter what. He comes to a place where the king begins to like him. The, the king is worshipped as God, and the king makes it illegal for anybody to have any other kind of practice. And so Daniel is caught worshipping the God of Israel, the, the true God of the Bible. And the punishment for that is, is death. And he goes before the king, and the king says, "Hey, what we have to do is we have to throw you in the lion's den. And even though the king doesn't want to help it, have it happen, the, their form of execution was to throw you and have your body torn apart by lions. And Daniel looks at the king and says, "Hey, you don't have to be worried. Uh, throw me in the den. God'll take care of me. I have faith that tomorrow morning when you come to find me, I'll still be alive." And that's exactly what happens. Daniel spends the light, night with the lions and he's miraculously saved. Now, the point I want to make about that story is not that God has the power to save us in tough situations. If if we trust him that God can do things we never thought could do, that's not the point. The the, the point is, how did Daniel, a young man who'd been raised in a place where it's illegal for him, where where does he come up with that kind of faith when he's removed from his culture? How does he get to that place that he can stand? It doesn't happen because Daniel set an intention of, hey, one day I'm going to be able to stand, even even though my faith is tested, even if they say they're going to kill me, I'm going to stand for God. He doesn't make that kind of public profession. You know what he does? Daniel builds a system. He builds a spiritual rhythm into his life where he says, every day, no matter what anybody else says, for every day of my life, I'm going to worship God. I'm going to connect with God three times a day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to stop and I'm going to connect with God. And then in the moment when his faith is tested, Daniel's system has built such a faith little by little over time that he's able to stand. When he came to the point, it wasn't his resolute kind of desire that he be able to stand. It was the system that provided it. See, here's the tendency, the mistake that... Most all of us tend to make. We want to change results. I want to lose twenty pounds by by spring. I I want to get out of debt. I I want to be more organized. I want to have better relationships with people around me. I want to I want to have the kind of family and the kind of marriage. Those those are great goals that that I have. The kind of thing that would be a legacy for my children. That's the kind of goal. But the problem is not our intention. Everybody has those kind of intentions. The problem is we don't ever look at the system that we put in place to lead us to being too overweight and not having the kind of marriage we wanted and not raising the children. We never look at the system we have. Instead, we just want things to change and we don't change the system. The question is, are you interested in knowing in how to build a system that can actually change what you want to see changed? Are you interested in that? Are you? Well, the good news I have is we're going to talk about that, but not today. That's not what today is for. You're going to have to come back, and we're going to be really practical in the next two weeks of how to get that system in place. But the first thing to get in mind is, your intention is not what's going to get it done. The first thing you have to know is we fail because we often realize, hey, I'm just focusing on what, I, I want to see change, but I haven't really thought about how to make that happen. The second reason we often fail is we, we focus too much on, we wind up not becoming what we want to be because we focus on immediate results and we give up way too soon. I mean, we don't, we don't see any progress fast enough and so we just quit. We decide we're going to work out three times a week, and we do that for the first week in January, and the next week we're two pounds heavier, and we go, see, I told you it was a waste. You come to church on the first Sunday of 2020, and when you leave and get in the car in the parking lot, you still have an argument with your kids, and you go, what good was that? That didn't change anything at all. You decide, hey, I'm going to stop drinking expensive coffee, and I'm going to save all the money that I would Uh, have spent on that coffee and those drinks that I would normally get. And I'm going to save that up and I'm going to apply it to my student loan debt. And at the end of six months, you've saved up several hundred dollars. And instead of owing $35,000, you now owe $34,775. And you go, it's going to take forever. What's the use? And you just bail. For most of us, we give up on what we've decided to do way too quick. You stay sober for Seven days, and at the end, when you get that chip, you, you don't have anybody to call because your relationships are still in shambles, and you think, well, what's the use? Why would I go 30 or 60 or 10 years? It's not changing the way I want it to. And because we don't see results that we want quick enough, we quit. See, we way underestimate the power of good decisions and the power of bad decisions. We think a small good step, it just doesn't matter all that much. For the follower of Jesus, we think if I'm obedient to Jesus in this small thing, it doesn't seem like that big a deal to me, it won't make any difference to me over time. It doesn't seem really to pack the punch that I want it to pack. I prayed on Sunday and I come to church regularly, but it doesn't seem to put everything back together as quickly as I want it to. On the other hand, we way underestimate the power of of the not-so-good things we wind up doing. I mean, you go and play video games for three hours at night in your man cave, and your wife's upset about it. she doesn't leave you. Not that day. You don't talk to your kids for a while, and they grow up, and you don't have any influence in their lives, and they don't just fall apart the first day you isolate. It's eventually. You eat the wrong thing for one day, and it didn't apply too much. I mean, you Eat a whole pack of double-stuffed Oreos for one whole weekend, and you don't even notice that there's much difference. And so we wrongly conclude, hey, good decisions that we make uh, for a while, they don't really seem to matter. And bad decisions that we make for a while, they don't seem to really matter. The small good decisions didn't pack the punch, and neither did the small bad decisions. I mean, nobody decides their life doesn't fall apart in one giant wrong decision. I have never, ever seen that. You don't end your marriage over an affair because you decide one day, hey, you know what, I'm going to go have an affair. What you do is you begin to notice something wrong with your spouse. You begin to notice you don't like a certain thing or you hold a little bit of grudge and you nurse that little thing and you hold on to it and you begin to notice they don't pay as much attention to you. And then you notice there is somebody else. They do notice you. They do pay attention to you, and you begin to talk to them, and you begin to flirt with them, and they are really interested in you, and you begin to laugh with each other. You begin to share things with each other, and then eventually you make one small compromise, and nothing really bad happens. Your marriage doesn't end overnight, but before you know it, you get to the point that you take a step, and before you know it, a year down the road, you have blown your life up. It didn't happen in one fell swoop. It happened one little bad decision at a time that led to the one that everybody finally notices. See, I'll tell you something. One small bad decision doesn't end it, but one small good decision, it doesn't fix everything either. You look at somebody that they have the kind of success you want. You see somebody that's got the kind of life you want, that they were where you are now, but they built to something great. And you think, man, I want that kind of thing. How'd they get there? Well, here's what I know for sure. They didn't get there in one moment of one decision. It was one day at a time. It was one moment at a time. It was, one de- it was one decision in that moment at a time, one small decision at a time. It was one moment of self-sacrifice, one moment of connecting with somebody else. It was one moment of doing the right thing again and again and again. It was building a small habit, a small rhythm in their life. Nobody ever notices the time they spent in prayer. Nobody ever notices the self-denial they have. And eventually, it's the late nights of working and giving yourself and calling people and talking to people and building into the grind and the faithfulness of all of that and you don't see it, and they don't even see it. They don't understand, and then all of a sudden it seems over time one faithful decision after another led over a period of years to the point that they had the kind of life that they always wanted. And then you look at them and you go, I want that. It's like boiling water. I mean, You take tap water, you put it in a pan, you put it on the stove, and if you had a thermometer and you measure it 140 degrees, It doesn't even look any different. Nothing's really happening. At 200 degrees, it's not boiling it. 210, it doesn't boil it. But at 212, bam, everything changes. You just have to leave it on the heat. But for most of us, the reason our goals eventually fail is because we just give up too soon. The guy Paul that I read to you earlier, he says in another place, don't give up. This is the way he actually says it. He says, so let us not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, you will reap a a harvest. You'll reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. So don't give up too quickly. I mean, we fail because we focused on the wrong thing and not how we're going to accomplish it, just our intention and We give up too quick, and then finally, and this one I have to talk about quickly, but just because I talk about it quickly doesn't mean it's huge. I think it's maybe the biggest one. It's because our view of ourselves sabotages our success. Now, I have to say, if you're just here and you're just checking this whole thing out, to hear me talk about what I'm going to talk about, it may just, it may, I mean, if you don't follow God, this whole thing may throw you off, and you may not like it. And even some people who are Christians don't like the idea. But, but here's what Jesus taught. We have a good father who is for us and working for us and wants better for us. But we also have an enemy that is working to destroy us, to still kill and destroy the life that God wants for us. Now, again, I know talking about the devil and talking about an enemy, it just seems too weird to some of you. But Jesus believed it true. The Bible teaches it consistently, and I just say, for me, I I can't prove it to you, but it sure feels to me like that has been true in my life. When it comes to this idea of moving toward better, so taking the steps towards what's good, or doing what I would become the person that I want to be, and the person God would want me to be, when it comes to that place of when I fail, here... Here's what happens, and it happens all the time for it to just be coincidence. It seems organized. I'll fail, and the enemy will say to me, well, there you go. There you have it, Ed. Failed again. That's because you're a failure. You're just a loser. You did that thing. You said you'd never do it. There you are. You lost your temper again. That's because at your core, you're rotten you're you're a bad person and you may fool other people but, but you're just undisciplined you're incapable you're unlovable you not only did those bad things you yourself are a bad person I I say that's that's where Paul I think is in that verse I read to you at the beginning where he says I try to do what's right and it just can't do it oh what a miserable person I am I bet if if we were honest with each other there are a whole bunch of us that have felt that at some point. Well, it, it's just the way I am. I mean, I got told that when I was little, and I mean, I've always sort of known I can't do, I, I mean, I just, I get addicted to things. I'm an, I'm an addict. Accept it. I've accepted it. It's just me. It's just the way I am. I can't change. I'm just miserable. And then here's what's happened. An unhealthy identity leads to bad actions, and then the bad actions reinforce the bad identity, which leads to more bad actions. and it just becomes this incredible, unhealthy surf, we don't circle where we don't feel like godly people, so we don't live like godly people, which reinforces the fact by what we did that we're not godly people, and we live out this identity that we have that we, can't, we just can't ever, ever, ever get it right. And it starts with this idea that our identity is off. Because I will just tell you, you got to change the way you see yourself. So here's what I want to encourage you to do: to change and make this the best year ever. I want us to start not with our intentions and not what we want to see change, but I want you to see you start with something else. And we're going to talk about this in small group this week. So if you're not anyone, you might want to get anyone. We're going to we need you to discuss it with your discipleship group, the identity you see with yourself. But before we talk about what we want to see change in this year, what the things we want to do differently, I want us to talk about who we want to become who who we see ourselves. When I think about the kind of people that I want to be what what do you want, what, what do you want people to say about you? You might say well i want to be I want to be clean and sober. that's a good goal. You might say, I want my kids to say, my mom she didn't protect us from things she prepared us for things she was she had me so prepared for life. My dad, he, he was such a godly man. He, he spent time teaching us about God. That, that's a good goal. I want to be financially responsible. I want to get to the place that I could be generous, that I could share the way God has given to me. Those are incredible. Let's start this year with talking about who we are, who we want to become, and here's what happens. Identity shapes action. Identity does that. I'll just tell you, for for me, for years, I would stand in places like this, and I was a follower of Jesus. I was a pastor, and I, I wanted to be a godly man to the core, but inside I I just couldn't seem to get it done. I just couldn't seem to become the person that I wanted to be. And I was leading people and people were they were changing, and I was changing some, but I just didn't I didn't see it. And I saw myself as this miserable person, this fake. And then eventually there's this mentor of mine who says to me at one point after we're talking for a while, he says, you know, Ed, your problem is you think God tolerates you. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I know God loves me. God loves everybody. He goes, oh, I know. That's, that's what I'm talking about right there. You think, God, you think God loves everybody, so he has to love you, but mostly he's disappointed in you. And he was right. Mostly, I thought about the potential that everybody said that I had and that I hadn't lived up to and the things that I could have done and the dad I could have been and the husband that I could be and the things that I could have accomplished, but I had this identity of, I was just, I was a disappointment to God and to everybody else. And so, he says to me, you need to begin to see yourself differently. You're not a disappointment to God. He said, Ed, here's who you are. You are the beloved son of the Most High God. That's who you are. And If God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. He's so proud of you. He loves you so much. And so I began to try to get that deep inside of me, and I began to live it out, and it has changed everything for me. So here's what I would say to you. How do you see yourself, and who do you really want to become? Maybe the start of this becoming the best year for you as they, you start by figuring that out. So right now, I, I want to talk to you about next steps on this. And here's what I want to say. If, if you want some help in figuring out who God says you are, who, where you are, what your identity is, if you have questions about this, would you right now go to ashleyparkchurch.com and click where it says uh, make a decision and, and fill that out and go to the place where it says I have questions and we'll contact you. We'd love to help you figure that out or Maybe you've been around here for a little while, and on that same place, i make a decision. You fill that out, and you check, hey, I already know who Jesus is, and I know that He loves me, so I'm making a decision. I don't just believe in Him. I'm going to follow Him. I'm making a decision. I'm going to follow Jesus. We want to help you take the next right steps in that. Maybe it's baptism. That's on there that you could check. Or maybe you're here, and you've been around for a while, and you're just doing this. You're just coming and listening, but... You haven't really done the part of of loving God and loving people because you haven't found your people yet. And so maybe on there, on the make a decision part, a next step for you would be is, hey, I'm going to get in a small group. All small groups are starting this week, and it'd be a great time for you to join in. But if you'll check that box, uh, we'll reach out to you and help you with that as well. All of that can be done at making a decision. make a decision. Maybe for you, it just starts with, and you're not ready to do any of that, but you just need to hear me say, you know, what I said was true about me, it's true about you. You are the beloved son or daughter of the Most High God. He is crazy about you. And out of that identity, if you begin to believe that, He can change your life. With that in mind, I want to end this part of my time with you by reinforcing that with with something that words can't sometimes do. I want to take music and words and I want to put them together and try to reinforce who God says that you are. So I've asked our bands to come back and they're going to sing a song that I just love. It's a song that as they sing it, you're going to be able to sing. It's not a difficult song. So maybe you start by just listening to them sing to you who God says you are. And then at some point you begin to join into this. And as they lead us, If you're at a place where you need to make a decision, would you go to Ashley Park Church right now and and make that decision and let us help you in this? But as they lead us, here is who God says you are.